the last two years have given us a lot of words, most of which we probably never want to hear again for a long, long time. Pivot, cohort, lockdown, variant, and if you're Canadian, moistly. However, we'll try to go gentle and not burst your mood, as we're going to be saying bubble a lot because we're about to prove to you that the Netflix comedy, The Bubble, is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, greats in B, movies. And today we are tackling the Netflix classic already? Can't really say that because it was only released on April 1st. We're talking about the Judd Apatow comedy, The Bubble. And joining me as always is my beautiful wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Now that I think of it, like you're my bubble partner. So <laughs> we are in our podcast bubble, ready to talk about The Bubble. And it's funny because when we initially saw the trailer, I know we were just like, okay, we have to see this movie. This is this is definitely our kind of comedy. And then we watched it and we enjoyed it. And then we saw how it was rated. So when you realize that we could talk about this film, what was your initial reaction to the critic response to this? Oh my God, this movie is, by definition, a very carry movie. <laughs> it is perfectly perfect in every way and um i i just I, I don't know i don't know why the critics couldn't see that but i'm happy to be here today to defend the bubble i do have a few theories as to why the critics maybe didn't enjoy it as much but we're going to get into that a little bit later in the podcast but before we dive into the bubble and no not a bubble bath just into the bubble uh, it is time to take this comedic judd apatow classic or soon to be classic and trailerize it there's nothing funny about trying to do something in a pandemic Unless that something is making a movie about fighting imaginary dinosaurs while isolated in an England hotel with people you probably don't like. Working from a script you definitely don't like. All in the middle of a global pandemic that you don't like. Watch as these beasts of acting drive a sequel right off the cliffs of sanity. In a straight-to-streaming film that forces you to remember that 2020 really sucked. Judd Apatow assembles an all-star cast in a film on Netflix. An app that cares so much about you, it has asked, Are you still there more in the last two years than actual humans have? The Bubble. Rated R. Is it really rated R? It is rated R. Why? Uh, let's see here. Drug humor, uh, a lot of coarse language, the vomit scene, which you had to turn away from multiple times as we have watched this. Okay, but R? R. R. I think I think it's I more so. It. I think it's more so for the drug usage in the film. I mean, that's kind of a. I mean. Boobs, okay, but there's no boobs in this. There's, there's. I don't even think there's any nudity in this. There's a lot of swearing, but swearing is swearing. I think it is mainly the drug use in this. No, there's a very mild 
sex scene, but that's... Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that's, that sex scene is PG to begin with. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's the drug use that kind of pushes it into the air, because there, uh, there is a pandemic's worth of drugs being used by the cast in this film, and it is, uh, it's a lot, and I'm surprised that none of them died from the drug use, at least none of the characters <laughs> did. Well, one of them looked like he should have been rightfully dead like three times over, but they brought him back, so... There were so many drugs used in this film the motley crew sat there and said i can't look i can't i can't i can't i just can't what was their total day count oh it, it was in like what it was like 167 or something like that Over like 167 it, yeah. it, it was it was a high number which is kind of funny because when they made this film last year they made it in less than two months so they made it in less than the time that obviously you know the, the comp part of the comedy is the fact that they're stuck at this hotel forever but what i discovered really funny is that the filming of this like the storyline is basically inspired by what they did to make the upcoming jurassic world dominion film but basically they filmed that whole new jurassic park jurassic world film that's coming out soon by quarantining their cast in a bubble in a hotel in order to be able to film a very large dinosaur franchise flick that definitely has way too many entities into it. So, like, when you realize that this was kind of like the inspiration for writing the bubble, you sit there and go, oh, this makes even more sense oh now. My God, literally, my jaw is on the floor <laughs> right now. It That does, it makes, and I love this movie even more because mm-hmm. I know that now. Like so if, thank you. If you thought some of the freakouts that we heard about, you know, from Tom Cruise on the set of the Mission Impossible film that was uh that was being done or filmed during the pandemic were bad. The freakouts in this film are are so much more and they're so much more fun. Uh, this film stars, and I, and I almost feel like I should make a list of who it doesn't star because there are a ton of actors, like, like A-quality actors in this. Stars Karen Gillan, Pedro Pascal, David Duchovny, Leslie Mann, Maria Bakalova, Keegan-Michael Key, Fred Armisen, Iris Apatow, and it's the cinematic debut of Galen Hopper. The last name should sound familiar because she is the daughter of Dennis Hopper. Um, but you also have appearances in this film by Rob Delaney, Kate McKinnon, Benedict Cumberbatch, Beck, John Cena, Daisy Ridley, James McAvoy, and I'm sure there are more that I'm probably missing. But as you can see, this is one of those, hey, let's all go hang out together with Judd Apatow in a hotel and make a film for two months. And it sounds like a lot of fun. I mentioned that this is directed by Judd Apatow. And if you are unfamiliar with him as a director, he's the guy behind Knocked Up and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. However, as a director... This is his lowest rated film as a director because it sits at a 34 Metascore and on Rotten Tomatoes it has a 35% audience score and a measly 22% tomatometer. Really the only time like it's gone lower and he hit one movie lower as a producer Harold Ramis uh, the Harold Ramis directed Year One, which starred Jack Black and Michael Sarah, which I will admit I have not seen, and I'm probably thanking my lucky stars that I haven't seen that one. Um, so this is, you know, 
arguably it's it's a bomb and we can't even touch on the box office because it did it went straight to netflix so knowing all of this how much of going straight to netflix how much of you know having such a a high rated comedy film past and then putting this out um, how much did the critics take a look at all of that in coming up with their uh, or with their their score, or did they just take this on on the face value of it? You know, all I can say to that is that I wonder if it's a little too late. I wonder if the movie was released in the thick of the pandemic, or at least the by the time we got to like the I don't know fourth to sixth round of lockdowns. <laughs> Um, maybe it would have been a little more timely. Now it was released kind of at the tail end. So either A, maybe everybody is just completely done with the idea or they're off to work and no longer watching Netflix, binge watching, (laughs) you know, whatever the suggested, um, trending list of movies is, um, I think that this movie would have definitely been better served if it had a theatrical release. I I think there comes possibly, possibly, but I think there's also a point of, I mean, I, I would still put this film into a time capsule because it does very much encapsulate some of the things that we've had to go through over the past two years. And, but I do think there's an aspect of this where, I mean, we, we have talked about staged on this show a number of times because it is arguably our favorite show over the last two years. And the thing with staged is that, it, I mean, it's clearly a pandemic setting. By the way, if you have not seen staged, um, you are doing yourself an absolute disservice. It is arguably the most 2020 slash 2021 slash 2022 of shows that ever 2020 but it's still funny and it doesn't make you feel like the weight of the pandemic because it is so funny and irreverent and just so much fun to watch. This is also funny and I don't know if I would say irreverent, but it's definitely funny to watch. But when Staged came out, everything was kind of new about the pandemic and we were still maybe second wave and it wasn't as... You know, we weren't so sick and tired of it. You know, this movie now comes out as we, at least here in Canada, we are entering the sixth wave of this, you know, with new variants popping up. And, you know, it's, and I understand that people are tired of the pandemic and everything that kind of goes along with it and the, and, and the changing face of the, the virus that we're dealing with here. And I think you're right. I think if this had come out, even I would say like September, October kind of thing, when before Omicron hit, if this had come out before Omicron, then I think, yes, absolutely. This would be much more well received. And I think, you know, by coming out, you know, post Omicron and now in the middle of the Omicron XE or whatever, like, you know, Microsoft Windows version of of this thing that we're on right now, you know, 
it's it's a it's a sad reminder that we're not quite out of it yet. Um, there are some things that you know are very laugh worthy because we've all kind of gone through the things that these actors go through. Not all the drugs, mind you, but you know some of the things that they had to go through uh, as far as uh, pandemic precautions of doing things. But I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right in that. You know, maybe six months ago it's a bit more well received and i think too and maybe you'll you'll disagree with this there is a stigma about movies that go straight to streaming like straight to netflix i mean i i think there are exceptions to the rule like the adam project which was an absolute gem of a film uh with uh, ryan reynolds and um mark ruffalo but there are also, I mean, there, there's a, a litany of movies that have gone straight to streaming that um, definitely should have gone straight to streaming. Maybe not on Netflix, maybe on Tubi. Uh, not gonna, not nothing against Tubi, but you know, there's a, there's, there, I think there is a quality difference, and you know, I would still defend things that go on Tubi. But is there a a stigma? Do you think? You know, if you know a movie's going to the theater, you kind of think more highly of it as opposed to something that premieres on a Netflix. I I can see that side of it, but generally, those movies that don't do well in theaters, that's usually my favorite type of movie. (laughs) I mean, again, it falls under, like, we had spoken about the blockbuster seven Seven movies movies in seven days. days. (laughs) And... Some of those, you know, that we would find in the 99 cent bin or whatever the case would wind up being my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's just me and I'm broken, but I tend to (laughs) like, (laughs) I tend to like the underdog movies. I I will say there is such a thing as a very carry movie. And trust me when I say, I'm sure some of those very carry movies will come up on the show yeah, I'm looking at you, Soul Plane. <laughs> oh, I went there. Um, I went there. But Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before we, we we go down that road in a future episode, we do need to get to the breakdown of the bubble. And we need to start kind of at the, arguably the top of the billing. Karen Gillan in this film. Like, I I think she is an unheralded uh, com- great comedy actress that's, you know, with Doctor Who, uh, it, it kind of got you know a little bit more of like that action kind of feel, especially when she was cast as Nebula in the Avengers. And then, um, I mean, Jumanji, I think, really started to show her comedic talents. You know, we will forgive her for selfie because, it, you know, that's just working with a bad script. But how was Karen Gillan as Carol in this to you? Oh, my God, I loved her. I thought she was perfect. And it was actually very similar of a character I found to her role in Jumanji where, um, yeah, I mean, she was, arguably, she really was one of the main characters. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, she's just, um, it it was so brilliant. She's really just trying to do her job and, you know, do the best for her family and get back to her family. And mm-hmm. then, you know, as uh, the, the days go on, the madness sinks in. And I really loved what I love about the bubble. If you haven't seen it already, spoilers here. It does begin with all of the actors um, going straight into a uh, five day quarantine, however many days it took. Like for 14 them. day quarantine. Was it 14? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that's the whole premise. Like, because the whole thing is set in, like, I guess October 2020. So everyone goes into 14 day quarantine and she's got to spend all that time alone in a hotel room with nothing but her thoughts. And yeah. And you do, you see that descent, like the first day she's eating a salad by what, day five, she's shoveling spaghetti into her mouth. <laughs> like, um, you know, she was, she was funny. She was, um, she really made you feel for her and the other actors by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, I don't know, the fearless ringleader. <laughs> um, well, I, I like the the fact that her, you know, Carol stepped away from the Cliff Beast franchise, didn't appear in Cliff Beast 5. So the fact that she's coming back for Cliff Beast 6 because her previous film was an absolute bomb and, you know, there, there's some resentment from the rest of the cast. You know, the fact that, you know, she now she's back, you know, she's trying to, you know, jump back on the Cliff Beast bandwagon and ride those dinosaur coattails kind of thing, which I can't believe I just said dinosaur coattails on a podcast. But again, here we are. It's 2022 and we're talking about the bubble. I 
really appreciate Karen Gillan as an actress. I mean, I thought, again, I thought she was great in Doctor Who. Um, I still haven't had a chance to see uh, yet another uh, straight to Netflix, uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. Uh, I did see the trailer for her upcoming dual film, which just looks fascinating. Um, and I think you needed a strong actress to to kind of take on that role because she is. She's almost like the 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 not the focal point, but you know the 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 center of you know everything that kind of goes around because she was out of you know the franchise for a bit and then comes back in. You know, there's so much you know story that goes on around her, and you know what her character goes through, and you know in the development of this film because this film is <laughs> the fact that if this film was ever made, I I I hope. Somewhere out there, there, there's a, like a 30 minute cut of the film that comes out as almost like a, you know, quote unquote DVD extra, if you will, because it is so campy and so it would be so bad. It would be so good. Oh, God, the dance scene. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal just did a TikTok with a dinosaur. Like, seriously. Love it. Uh, but the fact that, you know, her character gets written down more and more and more, the more she complains about the the conditions at the hotel and all that. Like, it's there's just such an ebb and flow to her character. And yet she's still defiant yet, you know, defiant in that she wants to get it done more so i think so she can leave the hotel and just everything that that kind of pushes that 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 end shoot date further back and further back um i now wonder how long they were shooting on jurassic world dominion (laughs) just wonder how long that went um moving on to pedro pascal the mandalorian himself in a very um not mandalorian type role the more I watched him in this, the more I am counting down the days until the release of the unbearable weight of massive talent uh, starring him and Nicolas Cage. Is this the beginning of the Pedro Pascal, look at me, I'm awesome party? Well, I do have to say I love that he was channeling his inner Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. as uh, as Tony Stark. Um, (laughs) like he, he was so funny. Um, it just, every scene that he was in was so enjoyable. The fact that he was going around to seemingly everyone going, will you have sex with me? No, no. How about you? Will you have sex with me? I haven't had sex in way too long. Like there, there's just such a, oh, such a desperation in his character, right? He's a, he's a simple man of simple needs. That that simple need is sex. Um, but there's just an over like a almost a quiet over the topness to Pedro Pascal. Um, you know, obviously he's not you know screaming like his future co-star Nick Cage all over the place kind of thing. Although there is some screaming going on, but you just know that he's almost like a a powder keg with the flame very very close to the barrel of 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 complete complete combustion um but it it you could see how he as an actor would fit in with the group and that's the thing you you think about some of these 
large franchises with ensemble casts that do multiple films together. And you see that kind of comfortableness despite the differences in each of their own personal lives. And I like the fact that, you know, the fact that they're isolated in the hotel in a bubble with no outside contact means not only do they have to live with each other, but they also have to live with themselves. And I think it's kind of like that almost scarier thing in that, yes, you're taking these, you know, emotionally dependent actors, stashing them away, especially in a 14 day quarantine period, and they have to be alone with their thoughts and you just see the manicness of each of those characters kind of come out um in pure chaotic montage fashion which is just way too much fun um i don't he wasn't the funniest guy on the cast but he definitely stood out to me as someone to keep an eye on just because you knew some you know it could start something let's move on to david duchovny um i'm so used to him in a more serious role um of course from x-files fame i think the last time i remember seeing him do a comedy was as the hand model in zoolander um it's just you don't necessarily think david duchovny and comedy now admittedly i I never actually watched uh californication uh, the the tv series on hbo um but i don't even know if that would be so much more comedy as it would be just you know yeah just funny situations kind of thing um but duchovny for you is he the right actor in that role i thought he was great in that role um i didn't find him actually that funny no but i think the role that he took on so the backstory is that he um he was trying to overtake the script writing mm-hmm. and become more of a screenplay um and he would be changing lines as they're filming a scene um and i i think that kind of I don't know, it caused a bit of a riff or maybe alienated himself. A lot of the lines he was writing were to better serve his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, he the was... The on again, off again. Right, yeah. right. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of like, I think, I think he was great in the role because it was that kind of like character that, you know, you almost... I don't know. It's it's almost kind of like he's trying to um, micromanage mm-hmm. the cast and um, kind of overtake the production. There's a line that he says, and it's earlier early on in the film uh, when he's you know arguing about the script, and he says, "I'm the gatekeeper of this franchise," and I'm just like, "You are the character that takes themselves way." way too seriously and that's not the place you want to be when you're in you know when you're in cliff b6 i think i think he took on the the role very well of you know that kind of egotistical Mm -hmm. um there's a grumpiness to him which kind of you know plays well as well it almost reminds me and again Full disclosure: We're we're not the people on set. We we don't know these stories. We don't know any of this, but we have fun speculating. We talked a little bit in the last episode when we were talking about Roadhouse about um, 
Star Trek V. Uh, William Shatner written and directed, and it is I, I, I steam. It is the worst Star Trek film that ever Star Trekked. Um, and I think it's one of those things where Shatner almost took it too seriously. Um, Shatner got better as he started to take himself and that role um, much less seriously, but. I almost wonder how much of Duchovny's character came from those kind of, you know, you know, I'm the I'm the actor and I know what's best for this film because I've been in every single, you know, epi- you know, edition of this franchise. I I wonder if there's a bit of Shatner in that. Well, thinking also back to Judge Dredd, where Stallone no doubt was making decisions. Mm-hmm. on that movie like that's you know at least reportedly <laughs> as per imdb um so you know you have to wonder you know how often that happens well how commonplace oh i mean we we've done a number of films on this show already where you hear you know so and so kind of took control and overrode the um the director um eddie murphy apparently did that quite a bit on the adventures of pluto nash and you have these actors throwing around their actor weight because their face is the face on the poster kind of thing um and you know when you have a director that you know maybe not be um in the you know, the most experienced of positions to be, you know, to jump into a large franchise like that. Um, you know, it, it's, you, you see, you hear the stories all the time in the trades and whatnot. And then you wonder how much of that is, you know, inspiration for Duchovny to put into his character. Well, first of all, I fully believe that the bubble is meant to take all of those little nuances of, actors in character roles Mm -hmm. and kind of was written with the intention to make fun of the different dynamic. The excesses of Uh, filmmaking, yes. Right, offset. Um, But I mean, what I just wanted to point out is there's also the flip side to that where if an actor doesn't advocate for him or herself, um, then, you know, they're also the face and they also get, you know, stereotyped or, or typecast mm-hmm. and, and people will judge them by the role that they play. I remember hearing, um, Jason Momoa in an interview where, um, you know, the, the interviewer was hating on him because of his role in game of Thrones. Now I personally haven't seen it, but apparently I guess there was a scene where he was very, violent towards women mm-hmm. and and legit like he was basically having to defend yeah himself I'm, as an actor well, Car- carl drogo in in the first season of game of thrones uh he's not uh, an, a nice character he i mean you know taking um uh, amelia clark's character basically for his own and um really kind of having his way with her, you know, rough sex scenes, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, but eventually, um, Khaleesi, you know, uh, sorry, Daenerys, um, 
learns from uh, their 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 servant as well. You know, ways to kind of you know be for him. So it's so you know, there there is a give and take, and I and I think it's one of those things where the critic probably took these you know clickbait type article headlines and you know surmised that i mean you see pictures of jason momoa and amelia clark like today still best of friends and every report that i've seen from you know uh, from the game of thrones set is that you know he was very uh caring and considerate of amelia clark on set so i mean jason momoa for for everything i've heard of Momoa, he's like all the goods kind of thing. Which is exactly why I think it's so unfair mm-hmm. that actors get typecast for the character they're playing. Mm-hmm. Like newsflash, um, they're actors. Yeah. You know, it, they're given a script, mm-hmm. they repeat the words that are on the page and give it character. That that's what they do. Yeah. It's okay to say I love to hate you in this role. But I also love your ability to make me hate that character. Not you, make me hate that character. Um, but you do see these reports of of actors, you know, taking themselves too seriously, taking the the franchise and the characters their own, and everything be damned. And that was kind of like the nice play between Duchovny and the director, Fred Armisen. Uh, and I remember as we were watching Fred Armisen, uh, you were like, why do I, why do I know him? Why do I know him? You probably remember him best as the, the Uber driver from Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Um, but he was also the voice of Brainy Smurf in the Smurfs movies. Um, but and he's done a number of different roles in um, uh, Euro Trip and uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, like you know, very accomplished actor in a lot of different properties. But there was that dynamic because Fred Armisen's director didn't have a big filmography behind him. So here you have that director that's kind of tossed into, you know, the sixth installment of Cliff Beast. And here you have David Duchovny, whose actor has been in every single Cliff Beast film. Um, and you have that tete-a-tete between the two. Well, I think another beautiful example is um, the the character Sean Knox, played by Ke- Keegan-Michael Kay. Yes. Um, where... Every single movie that I can picture him in, mm-hmm. he's always playing very much that positive, like almost like overly positive, mm-hmm. um, spewing, you know, yogic beliefs. And <laughs> what I loved, like the scene that made this movie for me was where he was sitting down having a conversation with Karen Gillan and He's, you know, rehashing or, or just throwing out all these um, word soup positive, of exactly, yeah, <laughs> positive affirmations, and then you could tell that as he's talking, he's he's he doesn't believe it himself. He stops believing his own bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and I absolutely loved that scene. I loved that scene because it was kind of like that's the typecast character I've always ever seen him play mm-hmm. and it was that pivotal moment where he was like uh, I don't I don't believe it myself and there's a nice balance too between Keegan-Michael Key and David Duchovny in this like you can mm-hmm. see that these guys you know 
the fact that they've been, you know, this is the sixth Cliff Beast film. Um, and of course, they've all kind of been together through the whole thing. So there's going to be a, a camaraderie between the actors because they're the ones who have to, you know, dance in front of the green screen and, you know, like fight the Cliff Beast kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, again, there's there's that, that, that play on um, if David Duchovny is... The, the the actor that's so full of himself, uh, Keegan uh, yeah Keegan, Keegan Michael Key's uh, character is very much the one who's you know puts out such a false image of himself and then eventually does stop believing it. I, I, like you almost wonder how much of Russell Brand is kind of in that as well because you know you, you take a look at Russell Brand's roles like you know uh, get him to the Greek and then in uh, Rock of Ages and then all of a sudden he's doing um, you know positive yogic stuff on YouTube which then transition to very different videos on YouTube. Turned very political very, very quickly. Exactly. When and, he was given his platform and and I'm very sad about that personally mm-hmm. because I had subscribed in the beginning when he was doing his kundalini yoga and um, meditations and sharing that positivity with the world mm-hmm. and then yeah like I don't know if it was again the the madness brought on from however many lockdowns mm-hmm. um but definitely you know Anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> Joe Rogan. Oh. <laughs> well, the, you know what? The, you know what the funny thing with Joe Rogan is is that yeah, he he kind of went like very conspiracy theory esque. Um, but if you go back to news radio, and and this is kind of something with with sitcoms as well, is that you know the characters that 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 are drawn up in like the first season or two are very much like okay, here's the basis of this character, and then as the sitcom kind of goes on, a little bit of the person's real life maybe gets kind of drawn into the character. And I think we heard, I remember uh, watching an interview with Tracy Gold talk about um, how her real life kind of got played out into some of the, the, the stories on growing pains. As news radio went on, uh, Joe Rogan's character became more and more of a conspiracy nut. And I want, it just makes you wonder how much of that is, is, taken from his real life i mean the fact that his character loved the ufc as well and then he eventually went on to become a a ufc commentator like you know i think yes but i also tend to believe that there has to be a certain separation between the actor in real life and the characters that again they get typecast in playing Mm -hmm. um whether whether uh, a part of their personality shines through or that's the part that they want to spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's so interesting because then at that point you're looking at it like, are they acting or are they, you know, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken as Christopher Walken in, <laughs> or Gary Sinise as Gary Sinise in right. this movie, that movie and the other. Um yeah, it's interesting. Like, and as the you have mo- to wonder, the more you watch the bubble, you realize that at first it's very much a comedy about the pandemic itself, and you know the the you know what it took to make films and TV shows during the pandemic. Which, um, before I go any further, uh, to anyone who was on a production crew 
during the pandemic trying to put together content and all the things that you know they had to go through on those sets in order to get content out so we at home could sit and watch something and not feel like we're 14 days in a hotel with nothing but our own thoughts thank you to all the crews that made all the shows that we have watched over the last two years you know they part of the joke is that oh yeah well we're, we're making stuff that's gonna make people forget things guess what there's a lot of people involved in a lot of shows and a lot of movies that did help us get through the last two years. And I'm not even just talking about the actors. I'm talking about the camera people, the DP, the editors, the graphics people, the voiceover talent in cartoon movies that, that helped get our kids through uh, the last two years. Like the, the as much as this, it, the bubble is uh, a spoof of both the pandemic and film production, I, and I kind of maybe wish this was maybe a bit more explored, but the, somewhere down the road, there needs to be a documentary made um, on the behind the scenes people and the things that they had to go through in order to bring us the content that we are watching in the middle of a once in a century event. Well, I think um, Marvel did that beautifully with um after the falcon and the winter soldier um and loki mm-hmm. they had the uh the assembled uh the assembled specials yeah yeah and and you do you get to see you know all the actors all the crew masked up mm-hmm. gloved up like um you you do get that sense of Okay, so while we're all home or in lockdown, there are still actors and crew that have to travel Mm -hmm. to whatever location they have to quarantine. There's that um, moment of like almost the hotel scene where, (laughs) you know, they're, they're literally by themselves for 14 days. Yeah. And how do they entertain themselves? How do they keep know <laughs> like how do they keep their sanity yeah after being locked down for- i mean there were enough studies and enough articles written about people who turned to turned to comfort viewing so binge watching old series like seinfeld and friends and how i met your mother and things that made them happy in times that were not a pandemic kind of thing but then you also had new content i mean yeah you know, we we joked around earlier about the fact that you know yeah i remember i think it was like the end of the first you know of 2020 and it's like congratulations you finally watched everything on netflix and it kind of felt like that and you can almost pinpoint like the the phases of the pandemic through what you were watching like when this whole thing started yeah we we went down tiger king road just like everybody else did um we ended up watching uh bruise brothers which was a phenomenally i wish that got picked up for a second season um of course recently we had cowboy bebop which we've mentioned on the show a couple times as well um there have just been and of course like all the marvel shows that came out and some of the disney pixar stuff that, that came out as well like there's just so much good content that was made over the last two years and you know as much as this movie um makes fun of some of the excesses of that i think also in a in a weird kind of way it also celebrates that um just know 
if you, you know, film crews around the world, you are very highly appreciated by um, two goofs in a basement with a couple of microphones who do their best to try to point out the good things in in poorly reviewed movies. Not bad movies, poorly reviewed movies. Did you just call me a goof? Uh, yeah, but you're my goof, so it's all good. <laughs> we're, we're, we're goofs together. Wow. We're all completely. Uh, let's continue can we, on. With- can we go back to where you were saying I was right? Uh, no, no, but you, you can go ahead and replay that part of the podcast all you want. You now have it on a recording. I can just see you now trying to take the file and make it as your ringtone. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I took the phone. It's okay. <laughs> on repeat. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, Leslie Mann, who, of course, played David Duchovny's uh, wife in this, um, A, felt bad for her hand. Um, I'm not going to say what happened, but you have to watch the movie. Um Obviously, she's she's a Judd Apatow staple, you would think, seeing how she's his wife. Um, but it's one of those things where she just brings such a such a comedy, um, you know, comedy goal to a Judd Apatow set. And I like the dynamic between her and Karen Gillan. Like when Karen Gillan shows back up on set and it's the, you know. I, I'm happy you're here, but I'm not happy you're here, and I'm not, I'm mad at you, but I'm not mad at you, and you know it's very much one of those you know she she's happy that Carol's back because it kind of maybe feels like old times, but she's pissed off because Carol went away and wasn't in Cliff Beast Five. Like there's a sense of betrayal in there, and I think she plays it perfectly. I mean, she was definitely a great actress, but I don't know. She left me hating. Her character, I found that she was the high maintenance diva of the set and I just (laughs) could not stand her. Like she just seemed so fake Mm -hmm. in every transaction with every single one on set with the exception of Duchovny. Mm -hmm. Um, Which there's a love-hate relationship there too, yeah. Right, but at least with him, she was genuine. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone else, she was just... She was either incredibly annoying or incredibly fake, I mm-hmm. found. And I ju- it just, I don't know. I mean, she you, played you, it well. You love to hate her in this. I love to hate her. She was the character that, you know, when she was offset, uh, I, I was kind of okay with that. Mm-hmm. We, we just talked about Judd Apatow's wife. Now we need to talk about Judd Apatow's daughter, Iris Apatow, who played Crystal Chris in this, the TikTok celebrity that is brought into the Cliff Beast franchise to bring that, that, that youthful vitality to it. And, you know, this could have been, you know, just a, a very one-dimensional character. But I found in Crystal, you had, you know, a content creator who is pumping out content all the time um but 
not happy about it. Like, you know, there's this whole scene where she's saying like, you know, sometimes I want to stop, but my mom tells me if I, if I stop, then everyone will forget me. There is such a loneliness in Crystal that, you know, it was underplayed, but definitely played the way it should have been played. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was absolutely brilliant too for the time because how many different channels or, mm-hmm. you know, new content that that was really of of any time in history, mm-hmm. you know, if if um, someone's going to start creating their own content, their own channels, here we are. <laughs> I was about to say, says the woman currently in a basement on a microphone making content for people to listen to. But it was the time to do so. Oh, absolutely. So um, I, I think I think her character played very well into this movie. It was. It was so poignant because mm-hmm. it was exactly what the cast of actors um, needed. I th- think the fact that she was a self-made um, internet mm-hmm. influencer um, celebrity, self-made celebrity. But also aware of the fragility of that celebrity as well. Like, yeah, you got 100 million followers, but you, you, say, the, you say one wrong thing and all of a sudden they're all gone. Mm-hmm. They're all gone. And the fact that, you know, she was so focused on making content that she didn't have any friends to the point of, you know, she befriended um, Galen Hopper, Carla on, you know, on set, you know, unbeknownst what, you know, what Carla's ulterior motive is. But, you know, it's you just see that dynamic of someone who's, you know, been pushed to work so hard to get where she is. But is she happy? And that plays out really like all of a sudden, like she's you know on a film in a in a hotel in the middle of England, trapped for God knows how long with people she doesn't know, and never done a film before. And her mom thinks the dinosaurs are real, and like there's just, but she plays it very. There's a vulnerability to her, and it brought more dimension to. Uh, you know, what could have been you know, a one note joke, but it was a you know more of a symphony of a character than than just that. Mm. Can we just take a moment to talk about the two actors that played as the dinosaurs? Oh, <laughs> I, I unfortunately didn't write their names down, but oh, my God, like like literally the Statler and Waldorf of Cliff B6. Uh, and if you don't know who Statler and Waldorf is. Go watch the Muppet Show. Seriously, the two guys <laughs> up in the balcony. You know, why do we always come here? I just will never know. Like, honestly, like just the 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 the, the commentary out of the two of them in these absurd scenes. You're right. Like, they the, were hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! When you think about sports movies, some of the best lines come from the commentators who are calling the game. These two were them. This is Statler and Waldorf. This is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. This is, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert and Jim Gaffigan in uh, in The Love Guru. It's 
they're there for those one-off lines. Uh, even, even in, if you remember Eurovision, uh, the commentator for the broadcast of the Eurovision concert had some of the best comedic lines in it. These two very much fit that same bill. Absolutely. Um, but as well, there was the hotel staff. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of run through the, the, the main four ones here. You had Maria Bakalova, who most people will remember as uh, Borat's daughter in the second Borat. In Borat's subsequent movie film, uh, you had, uh, and again, I am going to apologize if I butcher some of these names. So please forgive me. I'm just an idiot in the basement. Uh, Harry, Harry Trivaldin. Uh, as Gunther, uh, Samson Kao as Bola, and Ver Das as Ron John. These four, just some of the commentary that they create while all these actors are all around. Like Ron John's, like you know, don't worry, you'll hate them by the time by the time we're done. Um, Bola, I laughed so hard uh, when Bola was getting his COVID test done, and you know the the six going up the nose, like you, you, I hate you. You, you. Oh, that wasn't so bad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I really enjoyed him in the uh, Death of Twenty Twenty and Death of Twenty Twenty One that uh, that also came out on Netflix. Um, Bola, I think, is everyone that went through a COVID test, though. Like, it was just I laughed so painfully in reminiscence of all those sticks that tickled my brain. Okay, and how absolutely pivotal was his yoga class that he conducted. <laughs> Breathe out the virus. <laughs> Breathe out all your worries about the movie industry becoming irrelevant. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bola, way too much fun. Um, and of course, I'm glad you brought up that scene because Goose Ken, who played Howie, uh, that's the moment when he just bails on the everything. I so enjoyed Howie. Just that entire freakout scene during the yoga class. Like, you know, grabbing Duchovny by the balls and like, you know, his whole, his whole rant about Running through the field. <laughs> you're irreplaceable. And then he goes on to this rant about every single person who's played Batman. And they're like, well, not in the same film. It's like, thank you for, you know, my, you know, thoughts of my well being. Like, such a good freak out. Like, you've got to be really good to pull off a good freak out and not have it come off as, you know, discount Nick Cage. And I think uh, Goose Khan really brought the best of that into this. I just enjoyed watching him lose his ish on set. Um, We mentioned at the beginning of the show that there are a ton of cameos. But without getting into every single one, I'm just going to ask you, of all the cameos in this film which one stood out to you as the one most enjoyable beck beck oh god beck oh my god oh, uh, love it you have to understand so the whole thing with beck is that they you know they kind of like zoom him in while you know i think day 112 or something like this uh to do like one of those very very corporate oh hey i i love cliff beast it's my favorite movie it was also a pivotal time where the cast and crew like everyone was at odds with each other everyone's done they were done. done they were done they wanted to go home and here's you know kate mckinnon like trying to host this mm-hmm. um yeah very, almost like a like this, a team building this very awkward team and, building and that's, here's beck <laughs> to, <laughs> you know to entertain you guys enjoy <laughs> it, it's like 
anyone who who has had to attend one of those virtual team building things where they have a guest speaker to talk about lots of positive things and and pick up your spirits while you're stuck at home kind of thing or whatever yeah this is that that level of cringe but it's a good level of cringe i think for me it was daisy ridley as the um peloton-esque uh girl in the uh in in the mirror kind of thing i mean a the fact that it's you know we're we're, we're talking ray we're talking ray i'm not gonna call her skywalker because then everyone who walked out of star star wars episode nine is gonna be like she's not ray skywalker no 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 she's ray she is ray maybe ray palpatine we'll, we'll give her that uh and then of course you have the mandalorian in this like complete drugged out scene where you know just just the the it's such a nice, fun departure for Daisy Ridley just to see her kind of enjoy that that moment, and then of course her cameo at the at the end of it where she's on the you know on the red carpet with uh, with Pedro Pascal and uh, Maria Bakalova, and they're like, well, who's this? And like, this is so and so, and you know she she's here to be with us. Like, come on, you know, come join kind of thing. It I the fact that they got Daisy Ridley to do that. Like there, there's a ton of just fun cameos. I mean, John Cena's made sense for John Cena. Um, seeing James McAvoy just randomly appear on set and forget that he had a date with Carol um, and couldn't even remember her name to begin with, like that, that was funny. And you know, the whole oh hey, let's let's get Professor X his wheelchair again. It's like I play more than just him. Um, like that was kind of more making fun of, of James McAvoy. That that's James McAvoy having a good laugh at himself. But Daisy Ridley's was to me, I think the, the more fun it would have been the Benedict Cumberbatch one had it not been in the trailer. And that's maybe one of the, the criticisms of this film is that there was so much in the trailer that it's almost like they shot their load before you actually got to watch the film. I disagree. I think the trailer, um, yeah, it had some pivotal points, but um, I mean, it didn't, it certainly didn't give away the story, I felt. Um, and it made you want to watch it because I think giving those little Easter eggs. Oh, yeah. The Benedict oh, it, Cumberbatch. It, de- it definitely drags you in kind of thing. But I think the Cumberbatch uh, sight gag as far as the, um, you know, the, the, the whole the whole uh, drug out scene kind of thing. I, again, I wish, I, I, I don't mind if they had, you know, shown some of the other weird morphings in that whole drug scene. I wish they had saved the Cumberbatch for the film. Um, and it reminded me of... The Rundown with Sean William Scott and Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. They have this whole, basically they're up on peyote and the things get really, really trippy kind of thing. And that was one of those scenes that never made it to the trailer. So when you see that complete freakout scene in the movie, it's it's fresh. It's it's It caught you off guard. Those kind of moments need to be saved to experience during the film because if, if you if you give away some of your best gags and there was i mean maybe it's just me but i felt like that a lot of the gags you know sure the storyline was kind of briefly covered uh and you had a, and a general idea of what it was but i think some of the best gags and best one-liners were used up in the trailer so kind of like 
um, you know, the hitman's bodyguard. When you watch that trailer, like, oh, this is great. And then you realize, like, oh, they just they just told, gave away everything. I still disagree, though. I, I think that um, for this movie, especially because it went straight to Netflix and maybe they felt that it had to defend itself, um, why not put enough in the trailer to, you know, to gain interest? Why not? I, I, and I think that there were so many scenes that were pleasantly surprising as you're watching it mm-hmm. that I I personally didn't feel that they gave too much away. I think they gave just enough to make you want to watch it. And I think, um, I mean, that whole drug out scene was so, so much Weird. <laughs> better <laughs> in, in its entirety in watching the movie than just the, the little clip that they gave in the trailer. But the thing is, I think the, the Cumberbatch part was the funniest part of the drug out scene, of course, before you get to um, Pedro Pascal pretty much almost dying. Um, by the way. Three uh, times. Yeah, pretty over. much, pretty much. Uh, but I think it's one of those things where, like, the part that was, the, the parts that were funniest to me was when they were quarantined in their rooms because those freakouts didn't make it into the trailer so when you got to experience them for the first time while watching the movie you you find yourself laughing harder because you weren't expecting it as soon as they start doing drugs all together in the hotel room you're like okay here comes the here comes the cumberbatch scene the daisy ridley scene with the with the peloton mirror that was funny because we didn't know it was coming you know john cena as the you know socially distanced you know stunt coordinator through zoom kind of like that was funny because you didn't know it was coming it was even funnier that it was a stunt coordinator mm-hmm. like because <laughs> that's kind of the job you have to be there in person yeah. beck was funny he wasn't in the trailer i mean i think kate mckinnon's funniest line was in the trailer the whole like you know you can pull a movie out of your ass oh that's Minnie driver oh i love her like that that it's such a kate mckinnon type role kind of thing in performance but you know her her best joke is in the trailer beck is not beck was funnier when we watched the movie and i mean maybe that's just me you know wishing that they didn't give away the cumberbatch joke but that's that's just me grumping along like david duchovny um I just want to just want to rewrite the trailer would you like a Snickers? Oh, oh, you went there, didn't you? <laughs> hey, I am I am the guardian of that trailer, and I am going to recut it in a way that doesn't give away everything. You're two steps from get off my lawn. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, I can feel my back aching as you say those words. I'm going to go take my walker and go over in the corner, and you can continue on with the show. No. <laughs> Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things, though, is that, you know, when you watch the film and some of the jokes are familiar because they are in the trailer, um, that may have taken away from some of the critics score. But I do think at the end of the day, this film does need to go into a time capsule because the humor of it is very much of its time, very much like staged. There are very few films I can sit there and say this encapsulates the time that we are living in and i think this is gonna be one of those films where i mean the the critic score is not going to change on rotten tomatoes it's not but i think the audience score will and i think 
five years from now, 10 years from now, when people go back and watch this film, um, they're going to remember some of the absurdity of the moments that they themselves lived through in the last two years. I mean, I don't want to, you know, put put you know any of this in a humorous light because it, it has been horrible. The fact that we have are currently living through a global pandemic, um, again, a once in a century thing, and people have lost their lives, and it is tragic. Um, but in order to come out the other end, you have to kind of, you know be able to laugh at some of the moments to kind of help you mentally get through this thing. I think this movie is one of those moments. And I think in hindsight, people are going to appreciate it more. Um, I would say this one, this would be one of those films that would find a second life on um, home video, but I don't know if people actually go out and buy DVDs anymore. They probably don't. I do have to say it's not enough to just watch the preview or the trailer Please don't Go watch the film. Do, yeah. Don't don't be misled by Jay's rant of the trailer. <laughs> the movie is so, so worth the two hours that you could spend. And I do have to say, too, that the bubble, I think, was so if you're looking for a movie to make light of the situation, it was so much funnier, so much better or well done, so much more well done than um, Death to 2020. Mm. I I found that that was very dry. It was very hard to watch because it was almost... But it's a, it's a very different creator, though. Like, you have to keep in mind that Death to 2020 and Death to 2021 is done by the same guy who created Black Mirror. And then um, before doing those Netflix specials, he was doing the same thing as the, the new swipe... Uh, year in reviews um, over in in the UK, um, and watching those, then watching Death to Twenty Twenty, Death to Twenty Twenty, and Death to Twenty Twenty One are more the the same thing as those Newswipe specials, just with a bigger budget and some more recognizable names. Which again, Bola was in it, loved him in that, um, but it's it's. Is a different creator and it's a different feel. And I think that also might be some of the reason why the critics did not, you know, review this favorably as far as the bubble went. Because most of Judd Apatow's films, um, while, you know, definitely have their moments, you know, anyone who who screams out Kelly Clarkson in pain, they, they can thank Judd Apatow for that moment because of the 40-year-old virgin. But his comedies have traditionally had rooted themselves in a good uh, like a, a good heart story right you felt for the, the characters in the 40 year old virgin you felt for the characters and knocked up um this is not that film this is this is not a, a heartfelt comedy this this is sight gags um drug and vomit humor and like riff a minute kind of thing and if you are expecting Something like the forty-year-old virgin. You are watching the wrong film. If you go in expecting a well-done gag fest, you're you've come to the right place. I love as well that it was very self-aware. Mm-hmm. I mean, that scene where Karen Gillan's character is trying to um, use the TikTok celebrity to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to put her plea out that that she's being held captive, and 
really the whole scene was like, nobody's going to feel bad for you. Like (laughs) no one wants to hear actors complain about, you know, their problems on set, like suck it up. I mean, admittedly there again, ulterior motive, go watch the film. We're not going to spoil all of it. Um, Although I feel like we kind of already have, but you know, but um, just the fact that, you know, during that time, there are real issues. Yeah. You know, as you said, it is a very dark time in our history, in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we're still kind of living it. It's it's recent history. Yeah. Um, that yeah, people were indeed dying from this virus. So as frightening and, and horrifying as that is, and the reason that you have to quarantine is that you don't know. I think one of the scenes um, that there was an illness going around set at one point, um, <laughs> you know, there was one positive case or two. Now, you, it, you, many of you have tested positive for influenza. That's the good virus. The good virus, right? <laughs> but it was exactly that. And it was like, um, you know, it, I mean, we've all lived it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, OK, I only have the flu. Thank God. Yeah. You you get a sniffle and all of a sudden you're sticking sticks up your nose and you're zapping your forehead with you know laser thermometers and you're telling everyone to you know stay five blocks away from you because you don't want to get them sick. And yeah, like some of the, you know, again, when you when, when you come if you come out on the other side of this. Um, with a sense of humor about everything that you personally went through or at least can look at some of those things, you know, you know, they say history is written by the victors. And if you are able to win against this whole pandemic, you will have the ability to look back at some of those moments and hopefully laugh. And I think maybe this movie then will be able to help you. Um, Twitter has spoken of course as they always do um i'm going to first read off from my just another nerd show co-host kevin hilsden um by the way if you haven't heard my other show uh just another nerd show you can find that one on twitter at another nerd show and listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast his simple comment was it was that bad and i firmly disagree with this because again if you're expecting the 40-year-old virgin, don't. You know, if you're expecting just crass humor that is that is a little meta, I think yeah, you you got the point at that point. Uh but then there's also switch the envelope. Uh that chimed in with it has its moments but struggles to find its footing between being a wacky genre spoof and a satire of big budget movie making. Um while and yes, it definitely has its moments, but I, I counter that with why can't you have both? Why can't it be both a, you know, wacky genre spoof, which it definitely is, and, a, you know, a satire of big budget movie making, which, yes, it very much is. Um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, there are times, yes, when it felt a little, you know, a little extra like almost like they were padding the padding the runtime a little bit like you know one too many tiktoks i mean the tiktok dance with the dinosaur definitely hilarious um i do like the absurdity of 
you know, everyone in the cast joining Crystal in their TikToks because they just look so, so desperate for attention. Like, even Keegan-Michael Key's character, like, you know, like, watching her TikToks and then doing this whole, like, you know, you're not in competition with your cast. You don't need 100 million followers. You, you're, you're, you're yourself. You're okay. Like, there is, there, there's a lot of meta in this, in everything that it's, it's poking fun at. And I, I do appreciate that. But it comes time for the big moment. So, Carrie, I'm going to ask you, who is your MVP of the bubble? Oh my God, can't I choose them all? No. I, you know what, this cast, I just, I thought it was so great. Um, Karen Gillan, Rob Delaney, we didn't mention him, but he played her agent, mm-hmm. uh, Carol's agent. Again, another small part that, that just added to the flavor of everything. A small part, but it, I thought it was so pivotal when, um, you know, she found out that if she had, left the set she would be on the hook for the the, the hotel stay for yeah. now they're over like a hundred days um so you could just imagine just, just do the, the math the dollar figure was astronomical and, and this ain't no motel six okay but i think and and i do put out the disclaimer that pedro pascal Keegan Michael Key. You are stalling. David Duchovny. Oh my God. Stop reading IMDb and pick one. Kate McKinnon. Um, I am going to give my MVP gold star performance to Goose Khan. Really? I loved. I I loved his final. I breakdown. would have lost money on that one. Yes. Because I was positive in my mind that you were going to pick fred armison the director i because every time you watch you you seem to get the most laughs out of him i was i was i'm i i would have lost money on that one (laughs) well now i want to rethink my answer because (laughs) he he really was he was fantastic for me though I, i think you have to go back to the center of everything karen gillen um again really proving her her comedy chops in this um i i don't know if the movie is as funny without her i mean you could put a lot of different actresses in this i think maybe jennifer aniston probably could have pulled it off but um but i think karen gillen is very much because she is she's not just a comedy actor she's also an action actor uh and you know as the old joke goes, get you a girl who can do both. And Karen Gillan really can do both action and comedy and seriousness and the whole works. And the fact that her character is so pivotal to everything that kind of goes on around it. I did, I, I, I did, I had juggling. I had juggling this. Bola was on my list uh, of you know, for MVP. And I was also considering Iris Apatow. But I think at the end of the day, it's got to be Karen Gillen. So before we wrap up, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show the the actual tomato meter rating for this. Um, and again, both, you know, both are low. Both are low. We have to we have to admit. So who do you agree with more? The 20, 22% tomatometer or the 35% audience score? Or do you go higher or lower? I go higher. I 
at least give it a 54. Really? Audience score. I, I, I mean, I can see that because I mean, I, again, I think we, you know, it's fair to say it's not a perfect movie. Um, I think it could be some of the runtime could have been trimmed. Um, and, and the trailer could be recut. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm not Benedict Cumberbatch. Recut the trailer. Hashtag release the whistle cut. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, but I think, I think you're right. I think it is definitely in that 50 to 60% range. Um, you know, it's, it's not groundbreaking. It's not horrible. It's definitely worth the two hours you're going to watch it. And you will laugh. You will, you will absolutely laugh. And, you know, if, if anything that we've said over the last hour about this film has come across is that the last two years have proven that we all need a good laugh. So thank you to Judd Apatow, the entire cast, and everyone behind the scenes, especially in making this film. Um, it provided us that really, really good laugh that we all need in 2022. Now, you know the deal. If you think there is a movie that is unfairly maligned or one that is so bad that there's no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it, please hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. Let us know. We'll watch it. We will dissect it. And we will do our damnedest to find the A grades and B movies. Carrie, lovely as always, thank you so much. And to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, this is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.